Welcome to the One Sacred Pause podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Winderall. This podcast is designed to bring real and raw conversations about spirituality into the forefront of living our yoga off the mat and in our businesses. Topics covered include insights into the yoga industry, teaching, wellness, Ayurveda, meditation, and entrepreneurship. Basically, all the topics we're interested in. Thanks for joining me. Now tune in and turn it up. Okay, welcome back to another episode of the One Sacred Pause podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Winderl, and today I have invited a guest to come on the podcast, and we are going to be talking about all things related to Ayurveda. So please welcome Cecilia Varnas. Welcome. Thank you very much, Jessica. It's super nice to be here. I'm super excited to talk yes. to you. Yes. Oh, good. I'm so glad. And it's, um, you know, just so cool that we get to talk about this topic together. We're both in Norway. We're both working, sharing Ayurveda, educating about Ayurveda in Norway. And so I thought this was a really important um, kismet or um, meeting of you and I to come together to talk about this topic and continue sort of our joint mission of spreading the message about Ayurveda and continuing to educate people about Ayurveda. So super thrilled to have you. And um, you and I have spoken recently, and that was one of the things that um, we were commenting on to each other is just Ayurveda has had such a huge impact on both of our lives. And not only on a personal level where we are living Ayurveda and eating Ayurvedically and um, incorporating Ayurvedic rituals and routines into our life, but we've actually both made it part of our life's work and moving into the sphere of how can we um, share Ayurveda with other people. And so because there's not a whole lot of people uh, practicing Ayurveda in Norway on a professional level, um, you know, I think you and I thought maybe there were about four, maybe five people um, in the country who um are doing that on a, on a, you know, more than just a hobby level. And so we were like, okay, we got to get together and, you know, help each other and really talk more about Ayurveda. So that's what this podcast is all about. Just continuing to flush out um, how we share Ayurveda and how we use Ayurveda and probably most importantly, why people should care <laughs> about Ayurveda. <laughs> I think that's a really like, you know, important thing to say to you. So what I'd love to do is start by just having you introduce yourself, please, um, where you're at, um, and maybe how you got introduced to Ayurveda, and then how you work with Ayurveda now. And um, you could do just a short little intro, and then we can dive more into what it is that you you work with with Ayurveda later. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so my name is Cecilia Vera. I work as a yoga teacher and Ayurvedic counselor. And I think the first time I ever heard about Ayurveda was when I was working in, I went to high school and I was working at this health shop next to it. And I just remember it had like this um, vata teas and pitta teas. And I was like, that was the first time I kind of heard a little bit about Ayurveda and something already then sounded familiar to me because I've always been very interested in the more holistic, natural part of health. Um, what feels natural to my body aligned with kind of the seasons, the nature. Um, but when I really 
started to open my eyes to Ayurveda was when I went to India for the first time in 2015 to do a yoga teacher training. And we were talking about Ayurveda and something was just like kind of clicking. And like I mentioned, it was it was like familiar. It sounded like something I already knew in a way. So I was intrigued and started to read more about it. And it became like slowly a part of my life. Um, but then in during the pandemic, I decided, okay, this is the time for me to kind of make it make a bigger step and actually study Ayurveda so that I can have the tools to help others and bring it more into the world, as you said, especially into Norway, which is such a small field here still. Um, so I did my two years training with um, a school in the States, actually, uh, but it was all online over Zoom. Um, uh, and I did that. I was done in August last year, so I'm pretty fresh still as a counselor. Um, but it's been such a great journey to do the study, just both of learning about myself, about other people, about the, the nature, about this old wisdom them that again feels so natural to me uh, so now I'm just working with some clients I do a lot of consultations online and a few also in the yoga studio where I work um, and other than that I have also um, launched um, like what do you call it a community a membership platform for women because that's kind of my passion is to help women find their inner glow like working with everything from inside to outside with the yoga the ayurveda the food the lifestyle um and just bring it in so that we can find that glow that we are meant to have so we can do our purpose in the world that's kind of my passion with with all of this oh that's amazing yeah so important and i think that's one of the best parts about ayurveda too is that it is all about you know the the radiance, the inner radiance, how do we find and reconnect and rebuild the radiance that shines from the inside out? And this is a big way in which Ayurvedic medicine differs from a lot of the Western medicine, also Western beauty standards. Um, Ayurveda, sometimes people are really surprised. I know you're not saying like the inner glow in terms of a beauty, beauty specific way, but um, I think for me, that's one of the first places that my mind goes as well is because Ayurveda teaches that that health is beauty. And when you're healthy and you have that inner glow, that inner radiance that shines out, that's what makes you really um, sparkle and appear attractive. And, um, you know, as women too, of course, you know, perhaps another conversation about societal expectations and how we look externally, um, people are surprised to hear that Ayurveda very much embraces uh, holistic beauty and clean beauty and taking care of our temple, our body that we're in, in this lifetime. And so that, as you say, we can do our purpose so that we can connect back to the source energy or our true nature. And, um, I think that's a really fun kind of side part of Ayurveda. Like, of course, first and foremost is health and finding balance, but then secondarily through that health and balance, we get to the quote unquote, like beauty part. And, um, you know, that the Ayurveda talks about all the ways in which we can apply beauty treatments to the skin and to the face and to the hair. And, um, I, I guess I go there because that's a personal interest of mine. I think it's super fun and really cool to explore, but, um, 
One of the things, I guess, before we get into that even more too, um, I always like to ask people or in my trainings specifically, um, when we're learning about Ayurveda, um, I always encourage my students to have kind of like their elevator pitch, if you will, of like 30 seconds to a minute explanation of what Ayurveda is. Because when we're meeting people and they're like, oh, that's cool. I'm into like, you know, a sustainable and holistic lifestyle. And I want to know more about being balanced and healthy. And it's like, oh, cool. Let me tell you about this Ayurveda thing I'm into. (laughs) And it's such a huge concept. You know, there's so many facets to Ayurveda and it's very difficult, I think, in some ways to explain it. I know I myself have gotten into trouble before where I'm like, oh yeah, there's like these doshas. And then you're talking about the gunas and we're talking, people are like, I don't know, you sound crazy. I don't know what you're talking about. But when we break it down, or I guess perhaps take a more macro view and we're like, oh, here's what Ayurvedic medicine is. Um, What do you think, like if you had to give an explanation of what Ayurveda is to somebody who has never heard of Ayurveda before, how would you explain it to them? Thank you for that question, because I can recognize what you were saying. Like, it's super hard sometimes to explain it just in a simple, short way. Um, But I think the way I would just explain it for someone or what I often do is I say, is this old um, uh, medicine that works with... um, uh, I found in finding the English terms of this. (laughs) I'm just uh, rewinding in my head. that it's kind of um, instead of how do you say it? Instead of treating the the symptoms, you're finding the um, the root cause of a problem. So you're working with the deep seated imbalances through lifestyle and diet mainly, so that you can bring your body, your mind into balance in an easy, simple, everyday way. Um, that is usually kind of the opening way I just explain it. Um, and then if people ask more questions, I, I answer this, that is like this opposite balance, not opposite medicine, where we work with the opposite balances and equal is kind of bringing more imbalance. Um, so I love this example by just saying, if you're cold, you will put on a sweater to, to get hot. Um, that is kind of what Ayurveda is. We just find this um, opposite to treat and we come back to the body in a way. Absolutely. And I think that's why Ayurvedic medicine is so powerful and potent is because it's actually simple in its methodology. You know, of course, if you have like a more um, aggravated pathology or, you know, have a a more severe imbalance that that gets more complicated and requires different types of treatments. But in general, and I think this is probably, this is certainly my message. I won't speak for you, but for me, my message about Ayurveda is that um, it's accessible to everybody. So you don't have to be an Ayurvedic doctor to incorporate Ayurvedic principles and practices into your daily life because it's based on these you know, fairly logical methodologies. And like you were saying, balancing through the use of opposites. And so like you, people listening, people that you and I know, like can start incorporating Ayurveda because it's, first of all, I like to say it's a two-part process. And the first start, the first part of the process is observation. So like noticing 
when you're feeling off about something like, oh, I'm cold or, oh, my stomach's a little upset and gassy and bloated or, oh, I'm really exhausted today or whatever, you know, thing you're noticing, you observe it. You're like, huh, isn't that interesting? I'm feeling this way. Well, what, what could be causing me to feel this way? And, you know, people laugh, you know, I like your example. Oh, you're cold, get warm. Um, because it's so, so simple that sometimes it's like, okay, duh, we all know that you're cold, you put a sweater on, but then it kind of comes to the second part, which is all right. Then you start to change your behavior. You observe first, and then you take action. And when you start to notice, like, you know, so much of our day is on autopilot. So much of our day and our thought processes are just like, you know, automatic boom, 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 boom. And so slowing that down, really starting to be intentional and mindful in your day-to-day life of like, huh, okay, in this present moment, this is how I feel. This is what I'm experiencing. And then being like, huh, okay, cool. Well, maybe I'm cold because I don't have socks on and my house is cold. Or, you know, maybe I'm cold because I went outside and it was really windy and I got too much wind aggravation. Um, And then from that stage, then perhaps changing your action, future action. So you take the action in the moment of like, okay, I'm going to put a sweater on, I'm going to put socks on or whatever. But (laughs) in the future being like, huh, I notice when I get cold, I start to have more racing thoughts or I start to feel more ungrounded or I start to feel more unstable or, you know, digging a little bit deeper to notice what else comes with these, you know, pretty simple symptoms of like, oh, my stomach hurts. Well, why does my stomach hurt? Okay. Well, the likely culprit is something you ate a wrong combination of food that you ate together and and then starting to be like huh okay well if i feel if my stomach feels uncomfortable or my body feels uncomfortable because i ate this for lunch let's see what happens if i eat something else for lunch tomorrow and this is i think um what can be very helpful for people is just even that first step of starting to observe your patterns, your habits, and your behaviors, and then noticing how that makes you feel. Because we can't change what we're not aware of. Yeah, exactly what you say too. I feel like it's um, Ayurveda is a way of coming back home because we start to come back to recognizing the signals of our body and listening, which I think it's so natural for us, but we kind of lost that track a little bit with the with the stress of the everyday life and we, we're not listening anymore. And that is what I feel like Ayurveda is helping us to do so that we can actually become our own healer, which is said that we have the tools to, to recognize the signals at an early stage so that you know, okay, I'm cold, so I need to put on the clothes instead of waiting and allowing it to, to become a bigger problem because we are mm-hmm. not acting on this really early subtle signals from the body. And that I think is a beautiful thing with Ayurveda. Yeah, absolutely. It's, oh, it's so amazing. I mean, I've been practicing Ayurveda for a little over 15 years and I still (laughs) am constantly blown away by its wisdom and how intuitive it is when we when we set ourselves in the mind frame of like, okay, I'm intentionally going to listen to my body and I'm going to start to notice my emotions and my thoughts and how I'm feeling in certain moments of time. And then being like, huh, okay, does this feel good for me or does this not feel good for me? And just even that, like you were saying, like just bringing in that kind of self-empowerment piece of taking control of your own health. And 
maybe not even all the way to the stage of health, but maybe just even your own well-being. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I really love about Ayurveda that I think is a bit different from Western or allopathic medicine is the acknowledgement and emphasis on the emotional health of us and the role that our emotions play in our state of balance or state of dis-ease. And, you know, how do we as Westerners who typically aren't taught emotional intelligence, how do we like beef up our ability to listen into our emotions and how we're feeling in certain moments and how that can then lead to how we're feeling either in a positive or in a less positive (laughs) way. So what do you think about that? Like when you're working with clients, do you see that the emotional state is really present in terms of what symptoms they're working with or what kind of issues they're dealing with? Definitely. Definitely. So that's the thing. When I work with a new client, I always take a lot of time to dig deep um, to understand on a whole picture of what is actually going on. Um, so it's what you say, I think is very interesting. Uh, Ayurveda has always put this emphasis on the connection between our physical health and our emotional well-being, uh, which is finally starting to come into the Western approach too, where you kind of recognize now the brain-gut connection. And I think it's so interesting because just if you look at the nervous system, how that is reacting on, for example, stress or uh, and stress in any form, like stress in the form of emotions as well, that we are not actually feeling or suppressing, um, have that put us in this state in the parasympathetic nervous system, um, no, in the sympathetic nervous system, where we are in this fight or flight um, mood. And that is kind of a... Um, reaction or a protection from the body to save us from immediate danger but what happens when we are in this state so much is that other things other functions in the body is starting to uh, shut down a little bit because it's not um, prioritized and that's for example our digestive system uh, or agni which we call it in ayurveda is shut down a bit so we start to work um uh, less uh, active and the same with the immune system the same with um just how we sleep everything and that's how the emotional um well-being is so important for for how our physical health is because the longer we go without recognizing this the, the deeper this imbalances can sit both in like our physical and mental health and we start to for example carry also this pain like in our um connective tissue where it sits a lot of and emotions that we have not processed yet and we start to carry this pain in our joints um or digestion works less um active we have bloating maybe we feel more anxious like all of these things is so connected with the emotions so uh, this is always something i emphasize a lot with my clients and i see what is the pattern like where is it coming from what type of emotions are suppressed what have this person uh, been experiencing because that's when you start to go into the deeper levels with Ayurveda too is it more related to this um yeah I don't know how deep I will go into this but you know like is it more uh, connected to this kapha like the earth and the water and we are holding on to things or is it more like this pitta the anger the frustration that we are not processing or is it coming more from this ungroundedness with vata and dryness in the body um because that's I I personally believe that's where everything starts. Mm, I absolutely agree. And 
you know, making it okay to talk about emotions, making it okay to express emotions and to process and work through emotions is something that I think, like you said, I mean, it's starting to make its way into the Western world. And of course, we've always had psychiatrists and psychologists and therapists to help people with like their mental health and their emotional well-being, but it's always been kind of compartmentalized. It's been sort of separate from this holistic approach, or I guess, as opposed to this holistic approach that Ayurveda takes where it's like, no, 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 no. Let's take a look at the emotions. This is so important and has such a major impact on our physical health that we kind of have to push it to the front of the priority lane. And learning how to, I think this is a, this is a difficult one for a lot of people, um, learning how to appropriately respond to emotional distress. And in our modern world, so much of everything that we are exposed to, it's very frenzied. It's very chaotic. It's very pressurized. And I always say, I'd love to hear your opinion about this in a moment, but I always say that, you know, we can pretty much assume everybody has a vata vitiation and or an imbalance in the vata dosha. So an aggravation and accumulation of these air and ether energies that lead to feelings of instability, ungrounded, anxiety, fear, sense of overwhelm, sense of dread, um, and just this constant ramped up sense of the nervous system that like we never take a rest. We never are truly sustainably nourishing ourselves on a deep level. And when everything in our society is telling us we need to work harder and faster and do more and be more productive and, you know, everything's supposed to be a productivity hack. Everything's supposed to be, you know, keeping your brain focused and sharp so you can work more and longer. And our bodies and our brains and our emotional self, like we're really not meant to be in that prolonged state of chaos for that long. And, you know, so when we start to look then at like, okay, when we feel an emotion arise that feels big, whether that be anger or fear or grief or stress, you know, and of course the three doshas all respond to stress in a different way, but, um, you know, society says, okay, here are the quick fixes, quick fixes to reduce stress. <laughs> um, binge TV. You're just checking out. We're just substituting a new distraction, um, overeating, overindulging in alcohol or substances, um, improper relationships sexually, like anything we can do to like in that moment, remove our connection to the emotional distress. And it's like, okay, you know, of course we can make an argument for all things in moderation, but as a society, we are not being taught first of all, how to recognize our emotions. And then second of all, how to deal with them in an appropriate manner. And I think that's something that is a huge challenge, you know, when we're trying to teach the people around us or to influence the people around us to really sustainably find a way to balance their emotions um, because it's difficult and oftentimes painful to let yourself sit with your emotions and whatever emotional distress is coming up for you. So I think that's, you know, one of the hardest things I see with using Ayurveda is just our society doesn't support that level of, um, or I guess that approach to health. So that's difficult, I think. Yeah. Definitely. I think the same. And that's what you see too, because 
a lot of us are um, struggling. It goes in in flows and everything, but very often also what you get if you go and see the Western doctor or something, you may get an antidepressive or something like that. While you may not have actually taken the time, as you were mentioning, to sit down with your emotion and and understand where it's coming from because nobody taught us to do so. So how would you know how to do it if you've never done it before? And it, first of all, it's also super scary, uh, uncomfortable, super scary if, you, if you're used to kind of just um, pushing through and do things not to feel the emotions, to sit with the emotions. Because as you also mentioned, we are a society that are very full of addictions, whether we know it or not. We have some sort of addiction, whether it's TV, food, alcohol, um, relationships, like or anything else, because it's it's a quick fix. It helps us to kind of not feel at that moment. Um, but I see that especially like um, for me, I mainly work with women because that's kind of the passion for me to understand like how we as women, especially, are linked to the seasons in the nature and how we actually change throughout the month. So what I see with I would say all of my clients is deep down. Yeah, it's a vata uh, imbalance for sure because we are pushing through. We don't know that. We don't understand that our body is going through phases that we need to kind of slow down this period before menstruation, during menstruation, because our body needs this rest just as the seasons when we come into winter and it's darker and we feel like our energy may not be as high because we need more rest. Um, And I see that that is this, feeling of not understanding that and over years and years and years these women have tried to push through and maybe just um taking painkillers whatever not to feel or not to get the menstrual pain so that you can keep doing what you meant what you usually do and then over years they hit the wall so many of these women has pushed through so long that it comes to the point where actually the body is saying stop and they may be on a sick leave for a year or a few months or whatever because it's been pushing and pushing and pushing without recognizing this emotional state and this feeling into what is actually going on in the body. Um, so I see this as a big, big, big thing. And I think if we as a society also put in more acceptance for that rest and slow living and connecting more back to our roots, back to nature, that is actually super important for our health it's not just pushing 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 or working out super hard or doing all of the things because we need rest is so important especially in this society that is um so fast-paced it's so fast-paced and i think that's also why a lot of us feel a little bit down and we have all these emotions that we don't understand because we don't have the time to actually sit with them and and coming back to the source back to nature um if that makes sense um so yeah it's a it's a big topic um but i i think it's especially interesting to see like i mean in men women it affects all of us but i i think it's especially fascinating to watch how it affect women because i've been like on that journey so much myself like i think basically that's also what Ayurveda was for me because I came to it also through a lot of hormonal imbalances through um, I didn't even have a menstrual cycle because of the way I was living and just understanding those simple tools about um, the most beautiful word I know in Ayurveda is ojas juiciness Mm. because that's kind of true beauty for me like uh, in the western we're so like yeah working out looking this way looking that way instead of actually doing this 
um, having this glow from the inside out, which we were talking about, which will look different for everyone, right? And I think when we have this juiciness, this ojas, and we take time to nourish our body, our emotions also will be taken care of uh, in a different way because it's not this vitiated vata, the dryness, the coldness, the like ungroundedness that makes us anxious and unsettled. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, I agree a hundred percent with you and the, I mean, there's just so many ways we could go with this conversation, <laughs> which is like, what's so great about Ayurveda. Um, you know, I think one of, I guess a comment that I had, um, in response to what you were saying is, yeah. And going back to the emotions is there is this like stigma, especially for women about how we express emotions and, you know, we don't want to be needy. We don't want to be um, whiny. We don't want to be clingy. Like, and so a lot of women, I think, especially once, if you become a mother, I think it it increases a lot as well. Um, you know, that, that shiny exterior of like, yeah, everything's great. My baby's good and I'm good. And then inside just dying and crying and the loneliness and the shame and the guilt and all of these feelings that are very common among mothers. But I also, I think among women who are not mothers, um, you know, in Norway, we have that term, um, was it flinkienta mm. where a lot of what gets presented to the exterior or to the external world is not actually the truth of what's being experienced in the inner landscape. And I think that's incredibly damaging on so many levels. And according to Ayurveda would eventually uh, result in the accumulation of this energy, which would present itself as a physical ailment at some point. But like you said, so many women hitting the wall and because we don't have an appropriate outlet and, you know, as women in particular, and I think the last few years have been so difficult for, for everybody, but women in particular, because we're such social creatures and our hearts and our souls need to connect with other women and the sense of community, the sense of belonging that we get from female friendships and relationships. And when we think about the world being in shutdown and we think about the isolation and the loneliness that so many women in particular experienced during the last few years and the role that that has, not just on the psyche, but also on our physical health and coming out of that and, you know, starting to, you know, it's been a little while now, of course, since the world's been open, but it's still like dipping your toes back into, okay, what does life look like? You know, because so many of us got used to life in, in the pandemic and the quarantine. And now we're like, oh my God, how do I communicate and connect with other people? And how do I rebuild those female friendships that are so important and imperative for our health and well-being? And especially thinking about it from the Ayurvedic angle of our emotional health and the joy that we get from enjoying a cup of coffee with a friend or um, getting a hug from a friend or making eye contact with a friend and just being in that general sphere. And, you know, I think that plays a huge role um, in how we are doing <laughs> is how our sense of community is and our sense of belonging. And I know every, every woman I've spoken to, um, you know, in recent times, the last, you know, six months, still has this longing to connect to their friends. Um, not saying like people don't have friends, but saying that 
you know, so much shifted during the pandemic and things changed so drastically for so many people just internally for themselves that then you're meeting a new, your friend and so many things had changed drastically for them on their internal landscapes. And so for me, I'm just really fascinated by this idea because I'm obsessed with community. How do we build community? How do we keep community? Because to me, that's how we stay healthy <laughs> is having a community. And if we're looking at it, you know, since your your specialty and your area of interest is women's health in particular, I think women, we could maybe argue more than men were negatively impacted by the quarantine and our inability to have these in-person meaningful relationships and conversations that we used to have and now are starting to rebuild. So I think that's really fascinating just to think about it from that way too. Yeah, I agree. And I was just thinking once you said that, just um, about the motherhood and during the quarantine too, just how women had to give birth along often without the partner or anyone because of the quarantine and how that might have affected the women as well. Because um, if you just look at, yeah, also coming back to the community part of this, if you just look at like the Indian culture, a lot of these uh, ancient um, cultures and the Ayurvedic way of doing things, like a new mother is so taken care of. Like other women is coming, they make food, they make this meal train. They make food, they come and they offer massage to the mom and the baby. It's like the mom can really rest and just focus on building this relationship with the baby, uh, rebuilding her body, because it's been through a big shift, the body. It's been through an amazing thing. But in our society, it's more like you just like you're just going straight back into the society. You don't have anything like. I think it's way too little focus on the mother. It's like, of course, it's a new life. It's amazing, the baby, but also the mother. She's oh, yeah. Such a big thing. <laughs> oh, I mean, it's a whole, you know, I saw an Ayurvedic doctor during my, before, actually, I did a whole eight month um, conscious conception journey before I got pregnant. So I worked with an Ayurvedic doctor during that. And then I worked with an Ayurvedic doctor during my pregnancy and um, I'm a trained Ayurvedic postpartum doula as well. And, you know, I, it's just, it's so, I don't, I don't even know the right word because for my personal journey, and, you know, of course we all teach from our experience, we all come, come to the table with our own lens through which we see the world in which we have experienced the world. And, you know, I gave birth during COVID and it. It looked nothing like I was hoping it would <laughs> because, you know, I'd planned everything in terms of, um, I didn't think much about the birth. I thought about everything for the, the, the fourth trimester and, you know, the 40 days after you give birth, as you say, in Ayurvedic tradition is incredibly important to support the mother. And, you know, in Ayurveda, we say mother, the mother, and the baby will always be taken care of, but it's the mother who really needs the care and the love and the support and the rest. And I, you know, it's just, it's so sad to me. And, and I know now, especially in Norway, um, I think how pregnant women and women who gave birth during the pandemic were treated is really coming to light and really shedding um, light on cracks in the Norwegian healthcare system, unfortunately. And there's a lot of 
really beautiful grassroots efforts being undertaken right now to change the laws in Norway about how women are being treated. Um, you know, I myself, unfortunately, had a very difficult experience and was isolated from my baby and my husband for five days directly after birth. And, um, you know, all, all, all services were shut down after the pandemic. So no, no health sister, no visits, no breastfeeding assistance, nothing for months after you give birth. And, you know, for every woman, that's absolutely devastating. And coming at it from the angle as somebody who practices Ayurveda, where I had a very clear idea of how I wanted to take care of myself and be supported in the time after having a baby using all the Ayurvedic tools and, and recipes and all of the beautiful, beautiful rituals that Ayurveda prescribes to postpartum mothers and not being able to have anybody come to my home, not being able to be supported in the way that um, Ayurveda recommends is, is, you know, a, a huge grief and loss for me personally. But um I think for women moving forward, this is an area where we can, you know, continue to educate that how do we, how do we um, emphasize how important it is to take care of mothers who have just given birth and that Ayurveda offers so many wonderful ways to support the women in your life who are going through this massive transition and, you know, ultimately then to support their babies because if if the babies have a grounded and healthy mother then the milk flows better then the mother is more rested then you know everything's better situational around the mother's emotional state is more regulated and um i that's certainly something i think about a lot um having been through an experience like that but i think you're in a better role to support women in that way because um, you're working with clients directly and you're working only with women. And, you know, how do we share this information? And I know one thing I'm really excited about um, is I'm going to be doing a conscious conception workshop in Oslo. And so it's coming at it from the Ayurvedic perspective of how do you prepare your body to get pregnant? And looking at everything you've talked about, your hormones, your rest, your food, your diet, your routines, like everything all together to um, prepare a woman's body to become pregnant. And, you know, kind of coming back to what you were saying about your story and how dysregulated your hormonal system was before you found Ayurveda or, or really was using Ayurveda more seriously. Um, that's something I see a lot in my teacher trainings is when we're talking about Ayurveda and we're talking about um, our hormones and our menstrual cycle and, you know, the Western medicine, the Western medicinal system has really pushed this idea of like your period is something that you just, it's a nuisance. It's um, uncomfortable. We just have to get through it. We're women, we suffer. And so if you feel like you have, you're, you're suffering, you have symptoms, you have you know, all this stuff come up, what do you do? You get on hormonal birth control, you take Advil, or I don't even know what the one is they prescribe for women, but, um, you know, and the problem that I have with this, or maybe that's too strong. That's my personal opinion. Um, what I'd like to invite other women to investigate for themselves is, you know, Ayurveda teaches that if we are suppressing our, our natural bodily urges and, we are not allowing our hormonal system to operate in the way that it's designed to, like specifically talking about our periods right now. 
then we're going to alter the information that our body is giving us. So if we're on hormonal birth control and we're, you know, not really having true, true periods with ovulation then, or menstrual cycles with ovulation, then yeah, it might take away some of the symptoms, cramping, bloating, discomfort, but we might not be able to pick up on, you know, what's really happening in the body and our waves of energy as they ebb and flow. And for me, that's really troubling because then we're, we're even one more step removed from being in alignment with what our body is actually designed to do. So I don't know. I think that's the kind of, um, I'm always really careful when I talk about this because I think every woman, of course, needs to make their own decision. And I also give the caveat that as women in the Western world, we're very, very fortunate to have the privilege of access to birth control. So I always think that's important to acknowledge too, that there's a lot of women around the world who don't have that, that right. But from a holistic health approach and trying to incorporate Ayurveda into our own lives, I think Ayurveda would say, you know, hormonal birth control is less optimal than uh, not using hormonal birth control. But I don't know. Have you seen that in your practice, conversations about birth control? And what are your thoughts? Definitely. And I agree with you. I'm also very careful how I word myself because I think it should be a personal choice of course and you never know what is going on in that woman's life why she chose to do it but the important aspect here is that it's your choice because what we see very often here is that people or women start so early on birth control and very often it may be due to skin issues like I was even recommended when I was 18 I was recommended to start on in to get my period because I didn't have a period and even without knowing what Ayurveda was back then, I had this like intuitive feeling that I shouldn't. So I never, I actually never been on um, birth control. But that for me is a problematic thing because even if I then would have had a bleeding, it would not be a proper cycle because I was on birth control. So I wouldn't be ovulating and all of these things. And that is where the issue comes in that um, people are put on birth control for all these things that has actually nothing to do with even the cycle and for example starting on it, on it for um skin issues yes it may disappear in the skin but the issue is not disappearing you may be pushed somewhere else in the body and that is what i think is important to communicate to women and get them to understand that that you have these options and you can do other things and you can yes it may take a longer time but there are ways for you to in a holistic way help and guide your body and skin issues, other things, it's just a sign from the body that it's something is going on. Something may be a little bit off. Uh, and that is the beauty of our body and how it communicate, and especially through the cycle as well. Uh, so that is what I think is lacking a little bit is the communication around what is our cycle. It's not just something you have every month you bleed and then you can become pregnant if you want to or not. Like it's so much more than that. And it's a deep wisdom that sits in our cycle as well. Um, energetic wisdom and it's also with the physical aspect uh, so for me communicating this with my clients and I'm very much like I love to host these women's circles and stuff where we can talk about these things because what I see is very few women talk about it with their girlfriends even mm -hmm. like yeah maybe about cramping and stuff but not in a deeper level what is their cycle really and it's so much shame still that is um, coming with the cycle like with maybe you hide your tampons, you hide like you don't want people to know or you 
you take painkillers, all of those things that we talked about. But it's just such a beautiful way for the body to communicate. Uh, our menstrual cycle is a window into what is actually going on. Because seen from an Ayurvedic perspective too, like we have this um, seven main dhatus, so like the, um, they connect, the is it tissues. tissues we call it? Yeah, tissues that is um, created and the hormones, like the reproductive system that the tissue for that is the last one to be created. And if we have then hormonal imbalances, something is going on, it's a window into a deeper imbalance, maybe emotional or physical. So it's actually so much wisdom that is coming with a woman's cycle. Um, and just even like with the emotional aspect that so many people are like, oh, you're going to have your period. That's why you've been feeling angry or sad. But very often, this is also a deeper message from the body that especially if it's one emotion that you keep coming back to cycle after cycle, it may be something that you're not listening to, that your body is trying to tell you, communicate with you. And this is something I'm very um, concerned to bring into my clients, into other women so that they know. And then whether they then choose to go on a pill or not, that's, of course, a personal um, choice but that you have this information that is so important and I wish it was part of like our school growing up that we learned is both boys and girls because it's important for men too to understand what is actually happening with the cycle on a deeper level than just yeah once a month you're bleeding and once a month you have ovulation because it's so much more than that absolutely and it's also yeah I think it is just like you said, there's the shame around it and the stigma around it and talking openly about what's completely natural <laughs> in our bodies. And I have two things I want to say here. The first one is that also when we're talking about holistic health and we're talking about um, finding a sense of balance in every part of our body and our emotions and our mind that's very difficult. You know, we're, we're constantly fluctuating as human beings and we're constantly being exposed to new things, which are going to alter our sense of balance. And so that's just kind of a given that we sort of have to roll with, with each day as it comes, but we need to also be patient and there is no quick fix. There is no pill you can take. You, you have to put in a little bit of work and you have to be willing to um, spend some time allowing everything to come back into balance and realign. And as you were talking about, you know, the seven datus, the different tissues of the body. So, you know, different illnesses, imbalances, or diseases are going to be lodged um, or accumulated in the different tissues. And the most external tissue means it's the most superficial of imbalances. So easiest to treat. And then the deeper and deeper we go into the levels of tissues. And as you said, the reproductive tissue layer is the deepest layer. That means that if there's an imbalance there, it's in every other layer of the tissue of your body. And so it's going to take longer for it to be treated and take longer for it to be brought back into balance. And that can be um, a choice that people don't like because it takes time. And, and having that mind frame of like, okay, if I'm willing to, I don't want to use the phrase do the work now, because that's not correct. But if you're willing to commit to your health and your longevity now, then Ayurveda would say that you're going to be much happier and healthier in the long run. And, but I also understand like, that's, 
a lot of people are like, I just want the quick fix. Just give me the pill. Give me the whatever. I'll be done with it. And that's fine too. But from an Ayurvedic perspective, that's not the goal. The goal is to find this true state of balance that allows us to live happy, healthy, and harmonious lives. And and the second thing I wanted to say, this is like kind of off topic, but it's just so shocking to me. And it's an indication of how far off track a lot of our society has become in the Western world in terms of how we treat women's health and um, treat our reproductive organs. And I don't know if you've heard of this, Cecilia, but I don't know. This was maybe like a year ago, six months ago. There was, um, it's a little graphic, I'm sorry, but warning. <laughs> there was a um, a trend, of course, on TikTok and social media, um, and it was called the no, no, I think it was called the clean panty challenge, the clean panty challenge. Have you heard of this? No. Wow. I know. It's absolutely, I know you can tell it's horrifying. So as women, we have many women have so much shame around the natural functions of our uterus, our vagina. And um, yes, there's bacteria there. It's this own like cosmos, this own like biodome of, of how it functions, you know, and this is very important. And when, you know, if if you have discharge, that is very important to um, where you are in your monthly cycle. It gives you information about the state of your health, the state of where you're at. Um, And so the idea of this challenge was that the natural function of the vagina was disgusting. And if you had any sort of discharge, that meant that you were filthy and disgusting and a gross woman. And so these women were doing horrible things. Um, so douching, you know, internal washing of the vagina, but they were douching with all kinds of chemicals and products, um, basically trying to get an outcome where there would be no discharge on the inside of their underwear. And then they would, they would show the inside of their underwear clean and they'd be like, woohoo, today was a clean panty day. And this is so disturbing because of course, who's being affected by this young women who don't fully understand the capability of their body and the importance of the functions of their body and their reproductive organs. And you can imagine how disruptive and um, problematic this would be for the function of the vagina if they are cleaning it and inserting things and um, just taking it to such a degree that they now have disrupted how the vagina is meant to work. And I'm just like, it just showed me how far the shame spiral has gone around women's bodies that young women were proud to, to do this trend. And to me, it's so sad because I'm like, no, 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 no. We're going the wrong way. (laughs) We got to turn this around. It's not shameful. It's not bad. It's beautiful that your body is working the way it's designed to work. So that's, yeah, my side note. That's just like, oh my gosh, we have a lot of work to do. Wow. That's so sad. Like it literally makes me really, really sad. Because you would think we would move in the opposite direction, but it shows, yeah, I know we have such a long way to go with uh, women's health still. But I just can't believe, but, but honestly, like I seen the same because when I tried to, for example, explain to a lot of my girlfriends and stuff too about the um, signals the body gives and I tried to explain like the discharge and they're like, Ooh, like yeah. <laughs> people's reaction is because we're not used to talking about it like that. Yeah. But it's so natural. It's, it's just, it's just the body. It's like, like you say, it's a beautiful thing. It signals from the body and that we're going that direction makes me really sad. Yeah, me too. And it's, 
one of the things that I love about Ayurveda is that it's, um, you know, it really uses this idea of bioindividuality to assess your state of, of health or disease, lack of, lack of ease, lack of comfort. And so what that means is that each and every one of us is an individual and what's going to be healthy for me and balanced for me is not necessarily going to be healthy or balanced for my friend next to me. And what's going to be healthy and balanced for her is not going to be healthy and balanced for her friend next to her. And really honoring and acknowledging um, our unique differences and traits. And so when we get interested in holistic health and wellness and start down the journey of learning about Ayurveda, I think it's super important to talk about this idea that um, we're not trying to get to this perfect pinnacle of health according to what other people think it might look like. Our most balanced state is going to be unique for us. And so starting to allow our body to work in the way that our body is designed to work is really, really important. And giving yourself grace um, to be your own person and to have your own experiences. And again, for me, it always comes back to, like I said, that first point, which is the observation piece. So noticing your thoughts, your behaviors, and your habits, and recognizing that you know, maybe maybe you're a person, I'll use myself as, as an example. I'm a person who needs a lot of rest, um, both sleep, but also quiet time to be still, to just be by myself. And, um, you know, I'm a vata pitta, a lot of vata. And so I know that about myself and I can start to regulate if I'm feeling frenzied or if I'm feeling agitated or overwhelmed um, or fearful or anxious. I'm like, okay, check in. I haven't had enough alone time or I haven't had enough still time. But then I have friends who are, you know, kappa and they need, if they, they, of course, their natural tendency is to be slower and to be more calm and more steady. Um, but that becomes an over accumulation of the kappa energy. And so they need to be getting out there, burning energy, moving a lot, sweating, switching up their routines and, so we can't compare ourselves. Like if, if I'm like, Oh, I really need to rest today. And my COPPA friend is like, Oh yeah, me too. Be like, well, maybe, maybe not. <laughs> you might actually need to go for a run right now and giving ourselves that space to be like, you know what? We're so different and that's beautiful. And so for me, that's an important reminder um, to try and step away from the comparison game of like, Oh, okay. Well, that person seems to be really happy and joyful and balanced. And what are they doing? And I can't copy, I can't mimic exactly what somebody else is doing because I'm a different person and you're a different person. And I think this perspective is very different, both from Western medicine, which is just like one size fits all. All right, you got a cough, here's your syrup. Okay, you got high blood pressure, here's your pill. You got acne, here, take this. Like, there's no like acknowledgement of like, okay, well, where, where is, as you said before, the root cause of the disease? What is that coming from? Because we might have the same symptoms as somebody else, but the root cause could be something totally different. And I think that's what's really awesome about Ayurveda is like looking at it from that perspective. And then for those of us who are interested in, in learning about Ayurveda, really recognizing that for ourselves. And then also for the people around us to be like, okay, we're not all the same. And I, I would be curious, this kind of takes me to the second point. 
about this bioindividuality and looking at ourselves and honoring ourselves as different people, um, what your thoughts are as a Norwegian practicing Ayurveda in Norway about, um, you know, kind of this ingrained idea of, of Yentaloven and the idea that we're not supposed to be different. Do you see that at all coming into your practice or maybe even subliminally or subconsciously in some of your clients' minds of like, oh, okay, well, so what's the, what's the right way to do this? Versus being open to the idea that like, well, it's going to look a little different for you than it might for somebody else. 100%, 100%. And I think what you were saying there is what I found the most beautiful about Ayurveda too. And just before answering your question, that was also what um, truly made the most sense for me and helped me to accept myself and others through a different lens, which I think is so important. And that's maybe the most important part of uh, giving this uh, message to more people because it it gives you a different um, point of like perspective and it helps you to accept other people also in a different way because we are not all the same and I see it a lot like coming back to what I was saying earlier about my a lot of my clients being so drained like their energy is so drained there's so much like ungroundedness there's so much dryness coldness like pushing to the limits just because of this part that we are trying to fit in. We are trying to be like other people. Uh, a lot of women has like this crazy workout regimes because that's what they think is the right thing. And the more you push, the better, the more you sweat, the better, the harder you work, the better. Well, that's not the case for many people. Like, I don't know, you probably heard that too, but in Ayurveda, we often talk, for example, about sweat as blood. Like, we're encouraged to work up to the point where we just start to sweat and we can still breathe through our nose. We're not supposed to like feel like we're about to die, which a lot of people think. And this is one thing I see a lot in Norway, this workout thing that we think we need to push. We want to have our body like everyone else. And we're following this diet trends and, and all these things which is actually draining our bodies because we are not all the same. We don't have the same digestive power. We do not have the same um physical body or mental body and just like you I'm also a person that needs way more rest I have a lot of water in me and growing up that was like something I didn't understand and I was pushing like against that because I looked at other friends that were so outgoing and like always energy and I felt like something is wrong if I feel like I need to rest more so I push through it push through it push through it and that is something I see a lot through my clients too and it takes time for them to understand it but I also see it's some sort of relief there often that they understand themselves in a different way they're like oh okay gradually the more they start to allow themselves to maybe rest or incorporate things that is good for them if it's more in uh, exercise or less or different food or whatever they find a form of relief because it's kind of I can't give them the acceptance but it's kind of like someone is coming from the outside and saying it's okay that you feel this way it's okay that you need to rest it's your body this is you like you need this it's part of your constitution your build-up so i think this message is so incredibly important and if you don't take anything else from ayurveda this is why i want this message to kind of be brought forward Mm. yeah well, it's almost like being given permission to hold boundaries. And, you know, boundaries is such a difficult topic. There's so many ways to think about boundaries, but 
Um, you know, coming back to your favorite word, OJAS, which of course is just like, you know, it's the nectar, it's the building blocks of immunity. It is that like, it, we have to have OJAS, the healthy energy reserves. And when we are draining ourselves, when we are just working and committing, over committing, and, um, you know, if we have families, if we have children, then there's a whole nother layer of overcommitment there for many people. And, just going, 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 going and being like, oh yeah, I really need to rest. Oh, but when am I going to have the time? I don't have time to rest. I don't have time to take a break. The kid has to go to piano. The kid has to do this. I've got a work commitment. I've got, you know, X, Y, and Z, a social event, do the board and learning to rest. I mean, yes, there are people whose constitutions require them to, um, to work out and to have more structure and more regimen in their life. But overall across the board, I think we're pretty safe and sane. Most people need to have more rest in their life. They need to have longer sleep, better quality sleep. And how do we get that? Well, it comes through having a boundary. And so acknowledging that you need the rest and then removing the guilt piece of being like, you know what? Yeah. I'd really like to go to that party or I'd really like to go have coffee with a friend, or I'd really like to have my child be in this activity, but drawing the line somewhere and being like, you know what, actually for my health, for my sanity, for my well being, for my digestion, for my skin, for all of these things, I'm going to say no, and I'm going to rest. And I always like to be really clear when I say rest to what I mean by that, because, um, you know, in Europe we have, which is very, very different from the American traditions. Um, you know, the American tradition is you get no vacation. You just work through it. The European and Norwegian way of is like your vacation is sec- like sacred. Nobody would ever dare to try and take your vacation away. And, um, you know, but pretty much like a typical Norwegian vacation in the summer might be going to Spain, might be going to the beach. And you're like, oh, we made it finally. It's vacation. We have three weeks off. What are you going to do? You're going to be out in the sun a lot. You might be doing a lot of excursions or being out of your routines in general. You're probably eating a lot more food or different types of food than you normally do. Probably some alcohol involved. And you add all of this together. And this is not rest. It might feel kind of like your rest because or your a rest because you're not working, but from a holistic health standpoint, actually, it's just aggravating all of the underlying diseases that you might be accumulating and not really even be aware of yet, um, or maybe are aware of. But true rest is no distraction, turning the Netflix off, turning the podcast off, sitting, making a really nice cup of tea and sitting for just even five minutes by yourself, maybe looking out at nature, maybe listening to some gentle music or reading a good book, but something that's going to be more sustainable. And the question I always like to ask people when we're trying to decide what rest means for them is what's going to be most harmonious for your nervous system. And usually we can find a pretty good answer. Like we know if we're going to the beach and we're laying out in the sun and we're getting sunburned and we're eating lots of, you know, foods we're not used to, and we're drinking lots of alcohol, your nervous system is not going to feel awesome. Probably it might be fun, but it, it's probably not going to feel the most rested um, as if you were say drinking a cup of tea for, you know, some time by yourself or, um, you know, my favorite practice, yoga need your meditation, something that's really going to help reset the nervous system. And I think that's kind of an educational piece that um, you and I and other people practicing Ayurveda have as well. 
in front of us is what does it mean to have true rest? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking about this when you said it's with vacation too. It's a reason why everyone always say you need a vacation from vacation. Yeah, <laughs> because exactly. you come home and you're not rested. <laughs> Um, yeah, and the same goes like rest is not binge watching Netflix either. Well, it's nothing wrong with doing that. Like do what what makes you happy, but it's not it's not rest. So this is actually the main thing that I work with with my clients too. It's like I encourage I try to work with the schedule they got and, and make it um so that they can actually stick to it. But it's finding this little bit of moment in the morning to check in. If you have one minute place like a hand on your belly one on your heart and just like take a deep breath check in how am I feeling this morning take this moment just to check in maybe it's a longer meditation but just at least that one minute to check in to feel how am I feeling the second thing is before I even change what people eat I change how do they eat can you sit down with your meal and actually be present like feel maybe even take a moment to breathe and just feel some gratitude for the food and eat it, feel each bite, taste the food, chew it, swallow, like all of this mindfulness, I think is so important because when you're present with your food too, you will feel uh, when you're actually full. Uh, You will also be much more aware in your body so that the body doesn't have to digest two things at a time, like what you're taking in through the eyes and through your mouth, but actually just the food. And you feel more like, aware and with your body and you give yourself a moment to actually rest and be mindful with your senses and third of all is this as you said the evenings that you give yourself you give the body time to calm down that you dim the lights you turn off the tv you make yourself a nice cup of tea or do your abhyanga oil massage or if you don't have time for that i encourage uh, them to like do an like oil your feet massage your feet with oil just like Give yourself this little nice self-love treatment that is also so good for your nervous system. Or do yoga nidra, as you said. Um, or lay with your feet up the wall and just lay there. Allow like everything to rest down. Like My favorite tools is all these simple tools that doesn't require a lot of time because then it's actually accessible for people. And if you start incorporating these small things, chances are that you will feel more in when you are pushing yourself too hard. You will know how it feels to rest and how it will be to be stressed. And you will know um, what you want to say yes to and what you want to say no to. Give yourself a moment before you answer yes or no. Like feel, do I really want to do this? No, I don't. I want to rest. I want to take time for myself and that's okay. You don't need to come up with an excuse or anything. It's okay. Like, Rest is not just um, good for you. It's good for the people around you as well. When you take time to nourish your nervous system, it will have a ripple effect on the people around you as well. Yes, absolutely. Those are such great tips. And oh, I think that's just so important. And what you said about, you know, small, small changes. That's, I think, like the biggest takeaway maybe of our conversation today for anybody listening is if you're interested in, starting this journey towards um, more sustainable or holistic health, start small. Like you don't have to change everything overnight. You don't have to do these big drastic, you know, lifestyle routine ritual overhauls. You can just very, very smallly, or that's not really a word, but very uh, Mm -hmm. in small measures, start to bring in 
new routines, new rituals. Like I love that one minute check-in in the morning. Perfect. Like everybody has time for that. And it, as you were describing that Cecilia, I could totally just feel my body like doing a little check-in. It was so nice. And <laughs> you know, that sets your the tone for your day in a totally different way. And it's literally only one minute. And, and then as you start to incorporate more of these small habits, then you can start shifting into, yeah, maybe looking at the actual food you're eating or, um, you know, bedtimes are always such a hard one for people, but, uh, you know, once you get the wheels turning and start to see how you feel after bringing some small changes into your life, then you have momentum and you have motivation and you have inspiration to keep going and to make more changes. Um, and before you know it, <laughs> you're living an Ayurvedic lifestyle. And I think that's really cool. And there's just so much permission and so much grace and so much compassion in, in Ayurveda. And to me, that's very hopeful. And that's why I connected with the practice was because it allowed me to be human and it allowed me to deepen my connection with myself in a way that felt non-judgmental, in a way that felt very true and that felt very exciting. And that's kind of, that's what I wish for everybody is that they, they have these tools to help them connect with themselves on a deeper, truer level. And yeah, I think that's just like a really great place for us to wrap up our conversation. And um, I just want to ask if there's anything further you'd like to share where people can find you any, if you have any workshops coming up uh, where you're teaching at, please go ahead and let us know. Yeah. Yeah. Great. And before I share that, I just want to build on what you were saying because it is a lifestyle. So it's, it's what you're saying. Just give yourself the time to incorporate the things. And it doesn't mean you have to do everything perfect all the time. It's like, it's not a quick fix. It's not something you do for a little bit of time. It's to find the kind of life you want to live and that you feel joyful and happy about living and waking up to. That is so important for me to bring into my clients and everything as well. Um, but with that, yeah, uh, you can find me on Instagram at Cecilia Vera. So that's Cecilia, V-E-H-R-E is the last name. Uh, you can also find me at the same address on my website uh, where I have all of my offers. So you can book consultations there. You can find information about my membership. I do have uh, women's circles coming up frequently. So I'll put all the information there as well. I do try to have them around the full moon. So that is kind of a full moon circle, women's circle. Um, and then you can also sign up on my newsletter. So all the information basically you find on my website and my Instagram. And please feel free to message me or anything if there's any questions. So just to say hi, it's super nice. Always nice. Awesome. Well, thank you again, Cecilia. It was so nice to chat with you. And um, that's it. That's all. Thank you all so much for listening to another episode of the One Sacred Pause podcast.